I'll be walking through the lectionary passages, and we'll be doing that with so many other uh, faithful Christians around the globe. So this morning we'll be looking at our gospel passage, which Megan just read for us. Thank you so much. It's from the the first chapter of the book of John. It's a really interesting passage. Uh, There's a a whole bunch of things going on here, Uh, lots of important things to explore. Uh, In fact, I was looking back at my notes from three years ago. The lectionary is on a three-year cycle, so this this passage was the lectionary passage three years ago, and I, and I preached an entirely different sermon. And, and three years from now, there'll be another one on the same, uh, chap- the same passage as well. Uh, and I, I promise you, I won't struggle to find content because this is a really rich passage that Megan just read for us. Uh, but one of the ideas, one, one of the ideas that emerges in this passage is the idea of naming or labeling. And I'm going to explain that. I know that doesn't make a lot of sense right now. But, but one thing that happens over and over in this passage that we just read is naming. Things are given names. People are giving names. They're giving labels to things. They're placing some sort of descriptive title on someone. There's a whole bunch of naming that takes place, and it's worth looking at, exploring, because I think there's some really deep truth here. Naming is an important calling and theme of Scripture. From the very beginning to the very end, naming uh, is this thing that keeps coming up over and over and over. You think about Adam and Eve, the, the first humans, and one of their first tasks is naming. You're going to name all the animals. All these things, you're going to try to describe them. You're going to try to capture who these things are, what these things are. It's, it's one of the very first things that humans are asked to do. Uh, and in the ancient world, especially, names are, are really important. Naming is so important, and names carry really special meaning. You think about names throughout Scripture. People, people get new names when they're called to new things. You can probably already think of a handful of people in Scripture that get new names when they're called to new things. We think about Abram, when he is called out of Ur and into Canaan and to be God's people. Uh, He gets renamed as Abraham. You think about Jacob, his grandson. Uh, When he gets called to a new thing, uh, he wrestles w- with the angel all night until, until he receives a, a blessing. He, he moves forward with a new name, the name Israel. It, it, in this passage, there's a new name that's given. Jesus meets Simon, and now his name is Peter. Uh, and then moving on into the book of Acts, Saul is going down one trajectory uh, meets the risen Christ and changes everything, and suddenly we know him as Paul from here on out. Names are really important. Even nicknames are really important in Scripture, and they give us, uh, they say something about someone's identity. There's all sorts of nicknames, especially uh, in the New Testament. James and John are known as the sons of thunder. I can't imagine that doesn't say something about their character and their identity. John, uh, the, the writer of the book of John, calls himself the disciple Jesus loved, uh, which that says a whole bunch about John, doesn't it? I mean, namely, a, a couple things come to mind. First of all, it says that John and Jesus must have been pretty close. He wouldn't have said that about himself if they weren't. 
But I think it also says that John's pretty vain, right? that, he would, that he would specifically call himself the disciple Jesus loved. Paul calls himself a Jew's Jew, uh, which reveals the type of person that he was and the radical change that has happened in his life. And then Jesus, of course, has a whole bunch of negative nicknames for this group of people called the Pharisees, and none of them are good nicknames. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them hypocrites, blind guides, fools, uh, and he calls them vipers or serpents. Uh, names are important. They say something uh, uh, really important about who that person is. Naming things is a huge part of scripture. But as we're seeing, naming isn't always a positive thing. Jesus is naming people in a certain way, but sometimes these names aren't good things. Sometimes the names say something, something bad. Naming can look like blaming or shaming. It, it can be used to hurt people, as some of our examples so far have done. Naming can also be a way of trapping or pigeonholing someone. If we can name someone, now we've got them trapped. We've got them pigeonholed, naming or labeling in order to pin someone down. And our lectionary passage begins this morning in, in John 1, 29, and it's full of all sorts of really positive naming. But the section right before that, if we back up in Scripture, just right before our passage this morning, it's a perfect example of what I mean by negative naming as a trap. Uh, or to pigeonhole someone. So I want to turn there, uh, before, before we unpack the good kind of name calling, I, I, want, to, I want to back up just a little bit and, and look at what it might look like to negatively name someone. So we'll be in John 1, starting with verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. This is John the Baptist. So this is what John the Baptist, uh, this is a story about John the Baptist. Uh, He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Uh, They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Uh, So the Pharisees here are coming to John and they want to trap him. And they want to do so by naming him. They want to put some sort of label on him uh, to know who he is. They, They really, really want to name him, label him. They can't take the unknown and they need answers here. And so then John responds in verse 23. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. So John does give them an answer. But the answer he gives them uh, just uh, gives them ammunition against his ministry. They, they are looking to label John in a way that stifles his work, that shuts down the good things that he's doing. They want to know, are you, are you some big shot? Are you important? Uh, who are you? We want to be able to label you uh, so, so that we can write you off. Because, as the text will go on to say, they've been sent. Somebody has sent them to John. The Pharisees come to John from someone else sent from someone higher up on a mission to discredit anyone who might be a threat to the status quo of power that they are enjoying. The Pharisees, 
They love the place where they're at. So if in some way they can discredit John by naming him, by labeling him, by pushing him to the side, they will do it at any cost. Uh, the, The passage goes on, verse 24. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Uh, The Pharisees love labels and boxes and barriers and containing people within easy-to-understand boundaries. They want want to label him. They have these man-made categories, good and bad, right and wrong, and they're constantly placing people and labeling people so that they can control their tiny little world. Uh, If they can show that John is not the Messiah, then they can say, well, then why are you doing what you're doing? You shouldn't be doing it. That's not your job to be doing. And I hate to say it, but we can be so pharisaical as well. I am so pharisaical at times. We love to put names on things. We love to divide and label. I, I love doing the same exact thing that the Pharisees are doing in this passage, where they're trying to figure out exactly who everyone is, trying to pigeonhole John into this one little thing so that now they understand him. We, we love to do that, love to put names on things so that we can divide and label. There's the old Robert Benchley quote that says, there are two kinds of people in the world, those who think there are two kinds of people in the world and those who don't. Uh, We love to label things, name things. We love, I love throwing people within tight little classifications and then assuming that I now know them. Now I understand. Now that I know exactly who you are, I can, and I can say, oh, you're this. Now I've got you. Uh, now I know you. I understand you. I can, tell you uh, I, I can tell you all the good and bad things about those kind of people. We, we love putting names on things. Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals, old people and young people, urban and rural, millennial, boomer, hipster, fundamentalist, right, wrong, smart, stupid, uneducated, overeducated, blue-collar, white-collar, homeschooled, public-schooled, private-schooled, feminist, racist, conservationist. We could go on and on and on. All of these labels, all of these names where we want to be able to say, this is who you are, now I know you, and I can declare whether you are good or you are bad, whether you are on my side or on the other side. When we can name someone, classify them, box them into being one certain thing, now we know where, where they stand. We can decide what side they're on, ours or theirs. If we can assign them a good name, then we can be allies. If, you're, if the name I can give to you is what I deem to be a good name, now we're friends. We can collaborate. We can be friends. We can hang out. We can use special language. We can have inside jokes about all the outsiders that don't fit into these tight little classifications that we have for ourselves. And then we can assign people a bad name. Now we can write them off or ignore them or argue with them or hate them. We can assume the worst about them. If I don't agree with this name that I can put on you, now I've got ammunition. 
Now I can use that, and we can, I can use that to divide and to separate. If we can assign them a name, now we can add a whole bunch of ideas and practices uh, to them, whether they're true or not. That person is liberal, so that means they must believe, believe X, Y, and Z. And if I'm liberal too, then awesome. We're on the same page. Sweet. We can be in fellowship together. We can be in collaboration together. Awesome. This is great. But if they're not, then they're wrong and they're bad. That, that person is conservative or old or, or uneducated or a farmer or, or goes to that church or votes for that party. All right. I've named them now, so now I know them. And now it's easier to judge their inherent value or their worth. All right, I've got you figured out. And I've assigned all sorts of descriptive things to you, and I know you. It, it can just spiral out of control and be so hurtful, so divisive, so unchristian. I've been, I've been written off this way myself, and you probably have as well. I've been written off as a person or a pastor just because I read some sort of book or some, some certain author. I've had people make vast assumptions about me because I happen to live in a certain city. I've had people assume that they know everything I believe in and stand for, down to the, the smallest little detail, just because they figured out who I voted for. And, and I've done the same thing to other people. The same thing. Lord, have mercy. I've had to repent and try to repair relationships because I said things or did things or treated people a certain way all because I had them named. I had them boxed into a certain type of people, a person that I could write off. In fact, it happened last night. We, uh, we had to run some errands and, uh, and we went to Walmart uh, to, to run these errands. We had to buy some things. So we went to Walmart to get these things. And we're walking through the aisles. Uh, and I admit, I find Walmart a pretty fun place to people watch. Like, Walmart is full of some interesting folks, correct? And uh, so they're, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm watching some of these people. But when you start people watching, the, the sad thing that starts to happen is not, now you start kind of judging, like, Oh, that person is weird. Uh, that person is strange. Well, as I'm walking around Walmart, then I suddenly am having these thoughts run through my mind like, you know, I kind of I think of myself as a target kind of person. But here I am shopping in Walmart. So, like, am I actually a Walmart person? Like, maybe, maybe, maybe everyone else is looking at me. There are people watching me and thinking, that's a weird guy right there. Uh, but then, then the thoughts go even deeper. Like, well, maybe I'm a target person who is just okay shopping at Walmart. Who is like, who is more sophisticated and, and more self-aware enough to know like, I'm a target person, but it's okay. I can shop at Walmart. I'm fine with myself. And then, and then I started thinking about my sermon. It's like, what the heck am I doing? Like, look at all the naming that I'm doing here in this moment. Uh, like, like I'm, I'm boxing people in and I'm classifying people and I'm, I'm trying to put these kind of labels on them to say, like, 
as if you, if you shop at Walmart, you're some sort of like lesser person than if you shop downtown or if you shop, like what we do, we do this kind of thing. We label, we name, we classify, we try to box people into these tight, neat little boundaries and we don't do it just for fun. We don't just people watch for fun. Unfortunately, it almost always leads to some sort of judgment. Like, I'm, my, my group isn't like that group, so, so I'm better. And that's, that is no way to live. But that is not the sort of naming that we see in our gospel passage today. Here in our gospel passage, we see the right sort of naming. The kind of naming that we should strive for. The, the good kind of name calling. Uh, so the, the passage goes on. John 1, starting in 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God. He names him. He names Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one with capital letters. It's another name that he gives. John sees Jesus for who he really is. And he names him appropriately. He looks deeper. He looks looks below the surface of just, that guy looks kind of strange in Walmart. Uh, He looks beyond that. He's not jealous of his cousin, who is going to outshine him by far. He's not confused about Jesus' real identity. And he's certainly not embarrassed or unwilling to proclaim Jesus' name and his character uh, and status to the masses. John is going to become the first evangelist, the one who's declaring this is the one who is sent. This is God's chosen one. This is the Lamb of God, the one who comes with tenderness and humility. And he's not talking about baby sheep here. This is a sacrificial kind of lamb. John gets exactly who Jesus is. He sees below the surface to the very heart of who Jesus is. He knows him. He's gotten to know him. This is the one who will rid our world of sin and evil. As great as you might think I am, I am nothing compared to this guy who is coming after me and the guy who is there before me. Uh, I know it. I saw the Spirit upon him, on the Messiah. This isn't just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just our future king. He is God's very son. He's God's chosen one. Now that is some proper naming. That's, that's the kind of naming that we should be striving for. That's the way you label someone. And then the naming and labeling and pronouncing of true identity continues. The disciples get in on this beautiful act as well. Verse 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So John names Jesus again, but then the disciples do as well. When the two disciples heard him say this, 
they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Uh, So they're following Jesus. These two disciples are following Jesus in what seems to be a pretty creepy, stalkerish kind of way. Like they're starstruck by this guy and they're following him. uh, So much so that Jesus turns around, probably kind of weirded out by these guys that are creeping around bushes and trying to get a glimpse of him. And he says to them, what are you looking for? Which in the Greek is a is really a question about desire. What are you looking for is is deeper than uh, do you need direction somewhere. This is a question about desire. What do you long for? What are you searching for? What do you want? What do you really desire in the world? and, And the next word that the disciples utter could have been the end of their sentence and the answer to those questions. They say, Rabbi. Teacher, they, what are you looking for? We're looking for a teacher. We're looking for a guide. Uh, they say, where are you staying? But what they are really looking for is a teacher, a guide on this journey. And they see Jesus as such, and they name him. They honor him. They say, Rabbi, teacher. They recognize him, and they give him value. This is a title of honor because they see his true identity. Oh, that we would do the same. To to Jesus, of course, that we would constantly remember Jesus as our master, our teacher, our guide, naming his ability to guide us in his way, but that we would do this to other people as well when we recognize uh, that they should be honored. Oh, that we would do this to other teachers and guides as well. When we see wisdom and greatness in others, the kind of wisdom that could help guide us along this journey Let's name that. Let's name that in others. I, I see the, wi- the wisdom in you, and I want to name that. I want to label that in you. Uh, I want to honor you. I want to validate your true identity. That's a beautiful way of naming that the disciples do here and something that we can emulate. And, and that's the sort of naming that Jesus does for us as well. And he does it in the passage uh, with Peter. So the, the passage ends in verse 39. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard that John had said... uh, what John had said and had followed Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, Petra, the rock. You are Simon, but I'm going to call you the rock. Uh, Jesus Jesus knows Peter to the core before Peter even knows himself. He has a way of looking deep within someone and actually know them. He doesn't judge him, name him, label him as the cocky screw-up that Peter will so often be. He doesn't doesn't, uh, classify him based on his worst days. He calls him the rock He sees past those future mistakes. He looks beyond Peter's shortcomings. He sees the real Peter. 
And he says that you will be my rock. I'm going to build something great upon you. And Jesus does the same for us. He knows us. He doesn't judge us and name us and label us based on our frailty and failures. He sees beyond that. He sees to our true self, our real self, our God-given identity, and he names us based on that. And we can do the same thing for others as well. Instead of doing the kind of naming that I was doing, walking the aisles of Walmart last night, let's do, let's do this kind of naming for people. We can really take time to know people, to listen to people, to forgive people's mistakes, to overlook people's failings, to not judge based on their worst day or even judge based on their appearances or where they shop. We can see beyond the surface and label or name people the way that God does as lovely, worthy, valuable, and beautiful. We can speak life into people. We can build up and encourage. We can show support and love. We can listen and seek to understand. We can do the work that Jesus does. We can do the right sort of naming, the good kind of name calling. We can be different. I can be different. We will and should spend our lives naming things. We will. We will label. We will notice. We will recognize. We will declare value. But let's make sure that we're naming well. When we're doing this kind of classifying, uh, uh, naming, labeling kind of working, let's make sure that we're doing it well. Our country, our world is pretty divided right now. I'm not saying anything that you don't know. And this election year that we're in is only going to make it worse. So let's make sure that we, as God's people, let's make sure that we, as the church, aren't naming others in a trapping, pigeonholing, classifying sort of way so that we can pick sides and prepare for battle, aligning with those that we name as good and right while writing off, ignoring, debating, or hating those that we've named as bad or wrong. Let's, there's a third way. Like there's a, there's a better way to be human, especially in this year where it's going to get so contentious. Let's be different. Let's not name people the way that that I too often do. Let's see past those classifications, those boundaries, those boxes that too easily divide us. Let's look past the surface. Let's not label and judge before we've listened and loved, before we really know someone. Instead, let's look deeper. Let's find true identity, inherent God-given value in everyone, And let's name people properly. Let's speak those. As we look deeper into people's lives, as we learn and listen about who they are and we see their true identity and we see them through God's eyes, let's then speak those names over them and actually be a blessing to the people around us. No more binaries. No more easy, cheap labels. Only seeing and naming people as they really are, children of God, created in his image, worthy of the sort of unconditional love that God has given to us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have named us in a way that we often don't even deserve, that you have named us as lovable enough to have come to this earth and sacrificed on our behalf. 
We are grateful that you look past our mistakes. That you don't, you don't count those against us when we turn to you. We thank you that you don't name us based on our worst of days, but that you still refer to us as your beloved. And God, would you help us to do the same for others? I am not good at that, God. Help me to put aside my judgmental, stereotypical, classifying, naming, labeling, boxing, boundary-making kind of ways and actually live into this new way of being, one that calls out the best in people, that names the best in people, that sees beyond people's mistakes and, and, and looks deeper, actually wants to learn and listen and get to know people well, and that then speaks blessing upon them in, in the right kind of name calling. Help us to do this well, God, the way that you do it for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.